Welcome to the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 19, and we are recording on Tuesday, March 8th, which is also International Women's Day. Hooray! Um, And we are two women, and we're excited about that. Um, I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Happy International Women's Day, Amanda. Yes. This podcast isn't going to go up until Thursday, but you can still go back to the site and see all of the stuff we put up for International Women's Day. It's very exciting. Yeah, we had a bunch of great guest posters. Super exciting. Terry Tempest Williams and Sonali Dev and who else? Oh, I love her so much. I'm going to talk about her on the show. Uh, And Lauren Bucus, who I think you're talking about. Yeah, in the first question. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And then, of course, we had a bunch of... um, uh, contributors from Book Riot write up stuff for us for uh, for the day. And, and a guest contributor from Panels, which is awesome. Yes, yes to do a comics, uh, feminist-friendly comics uh, for International Women's Day. So you can just go to the site and do a search for International Women's Day, and it'll bring up the tag and all the posts for the day. If you are interested in that, which you should be, mm-hmm. because it's awesome. Okay, right. So mm. podcast things. Um, <laughs> so the Get, Booked po- the Get Booked podcast is a recommendation show, and that means that we need questions from you. So you can submit them. There's a form at the bottom of every post about the podcast. Um, you can tweet them to Amanda. You can, what else can they do? Can they, they email can, them? Yes, getbooked at bookriot.com. Yes. So, and we... <laughs> You, we get to every question eventually. Mm. So if we don't get to yours immediately, don't fret. Well, I'm sure we'll get to it soon. Um, but you should definitely leave us your questions um, wherever you feel most appropriate. <laughs> and shall we just dive right in? Let's go. Okay. So our first question is from Roberta. She says, I need a newbie recommendation because though I think it's a super fun theme, I've never actually read any horror novels because I'm too chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also chicken, Roberta. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> she says, but I really want to dip my toes in this bloody water. So where should I start? Horror essentials, we may call it. Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, first I wanted to mention we did do a horror episode last October for Halloween that was just questions about um, various and sundry horror novel related recommendations. And we had uh, a librarian named Becky Kaman, who is uh, like a horror expert and runs the reader's advisory, a reader's advisory program for horror novels. And she helped. So I will leave that in the show notes. You can go listen to that episode. And there's tons of recommendations for horror. Um, There's only recommendations for horror on that episode. So my first pick for you is Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. This is a more recent, it came out in uh, 2014. And it is Maybe the creepiest thing I've ever read. And I think this is good for uh, newbies who who feel like they're kind of too chickeny for horror because you never actually see the monster. So it's all in your brain. Um, so the premise of this is that aliens or some sort of monster or some sort of thing, it has invaded the world. And every time you look at it, when people look at this, these monsters or these beings or these whatever... They go crazy and they commit suicide. So the survivors are boarding up their windows, locking their doors. They don't go outside unless they're wearing blindfolds. You you never you don't you can't look at the TV. Um, you can't look at anything, or you will go crazy and kill yourself in, in a really horrible, gruesome, and violent way. And so the main character Mallory um, is a survivor of this thing that's happening, and it's five years after the start. So the book takes place five years after all of this has began. Most everyone is dead. And there are pockets of survivors everywhere. The, the twist here is that Mallory has two children. 
uh, two young children. I think they're four. And when I read this, my kids were three. And so it was horrifying to me. She lives in an abandoned house near a river um, and discovers uh, that there she's like calling random numbers out of a phone book and finally finds another survivor. And so she gets on a, gets in a boat, blind, blindfolds herself and her two kids, gets in a boat and makes this trek trying to find other survivors. Um, and it's just horrifying because you never see, you know, the monster. So you're imagining it in your mind. But every sound and every smell and every weird way that the wind blows makes you think that something is like right behind you. And it's so creepy. And the fact that she's got kids and she has to train her kids to never use their eyes, which is like this whole other weird thing that you never think about. Um, and so her children actually have like super developed hearing and they're actually helping her navigate down the river. Anyway, it's like all of these weird, uh, creepy details about what life would be like in a situation like that. But it's super creepy. Excellent introduction to the genre. Yeah. So that's Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. I am also chicken, <laughs> super chicken. So I uh, have, I'm kind of picky about what her novels I'll read because I'll get nightmares for like a month. Um, but the woman who basically made me a horror novel fan is Lauren Bucus, um, and her book Broken Monsters is one of my favorites. So I feel like there's different kinds of horror and I really only know the more supernatural kinds. Um, and so this is one of those. Um, it takes place in Detroit, and the main character, well, there's a few characters that the narrative switches between, but my favorite main character um, is a detective. Um, her name is Gabriella Versado, and she's like a kind of hardened, like, she's she's a really lovely human being, but she's also like, she's been around, she's seen some stuff. Um, but there's this new string of murders that are like terrifying even to her. Um and the first one that she finds is uh, there's a boy, but it's only half of a boy and the other half is a deer and they're somehow fused together and dead on the side of the road. And she's like, what the hell is going on? Um, and she gradually like starts to follow the clues and you find out more things. And in the meantime, you also meet her daughter, Layla. Um, and then this freelance journalist, Jono, who's like trying to do the like make Detroit hip, talk about the art scene thing. <laughs> um, and so it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a really broad ranging novel. Like it's about art. It's about murder it's about obsession it's about teenagers it's about Detroit and what's happening to the cities um like to Detroit as a city that is trying to you know come back from a really hard economic collapse there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it um so yes and it's also super scary <laughs> <laughs> um but I really loved it so that's Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus. it's so creepy it's so good it's so creepy Okay, so my second pick for you is a collection of short stories called Ghost Summer, and the author's name is Tanana Rividu, and I don't know if I'm saying her first name right, and I apologize if I'm not, but the spelling will be in the show notes. Um, so all of the stories in this collection are by her. It's not like an anthology or whatever, and they all take place in a town called Gracetown, which is in Florida, in a swampy town in Florida. And each short story is uh, looking at, you know, the, the people who live there. Some of some takes ugh, excuse me, some take place in the past, some take place in the present. But each story is creepy in its own weird way. So one of the one of the stories is about a new teacher who moves to town and turns into a figurative and literal predator um, of children. One of them is about, oh gosh, the creepiest one. Oh, about a woman who, a new mom who's her, her husband is, I think he's been deployed. He's in the military or he's out, off on business or something like that. So she's home alone by herself with her baby, who I think is 
uh, seven or eight months old, and then the baby gets possessed, and it's just like a terrifying. I don't know what it is about kids, but like creepy kids are a thing that will get me every time. Like I will have nightmares about creepy children forever. Uh, but there are a lot of creepy children in this uh, collection. Oh, oh, there's a short story about oh, a runaway slave who is escaping with uh, her husband, who is a Native American, and you know they're. They're on the run and they have to hide. They go to her uncle for um, assistance. He owns a mine and he hides them down in the mine and like creepy stuff happens down in the mine because of course it does. Why would you get on in a mine without there being creepy stuff that happens? <laughs> so, so every story um, is weird and spine tingly in its own way. And I like this because some of the horror that she writes into these stories is horrifying because of how real it is. Like it's, Slavery was real. Racism is real. You know, child predators are real. And it's not just the uh, the weird supernatural stuff that is creepy, though that is it. But, you know, it's also made creepy by, like, just how horrible people can be. Um, so, and short stories, I think, are a good intro for newbies. Uh, because if you don't like it, you've only committed, you know, 15 pages. And then you can move on. Or stick it in the freezer like Joey from Friends. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> so, Yeah. Oh, uh, Ghost Summer. I'm, I'm remembering to say the titles after I talk about them. Ghost Summer by Tanana Rividu. <laughs> All right. My second pick is actually a graphic novel. It's the first in a series. Um, and horror comics are a thing that I have discovered I can also love. Again, I'm super scaredy, so not all of them, but some of them. Um, and I really love this series. So it's called Hexed, um, and the writer is Michael Allen Nelson, and Dan Mora is the artist um, for Volume 1. So Hexed Volume 1. And um, it is amazing. The main character, like I kind of... It's kind of like if Buffy grew up and became an art thief. Yes. Um, yeah, super great. So the main character, her nickname is Lucifer. Um, her full name is Lucy Jennifer Ignacio Desneves. Um, and and she is like a witch who is also a thief for hire. Um, and she, some of her stuff, like she's legit stealing it back from the bad guys. Some of her stuff is a little bit shadier. Um, and she has this mentor, Val Brizendine, who owns an art gallery. And at a certain point, Lucifer accidentally frees an evil being from one of the paintings in the art gallery. Um, and in the meantime, Lucifer is actually suffering under a sort of curse, um, which is where the title of the piece comes from. And it is so great. She's so kick-ass. She's so, the whole, like, all of the characters are great. Um, it's scary without being, like, absolutely terrifying and there's something interesting about seeing scary stuff on the page that I kind of dig mm -hmm. um, like the words as well as the images so I feel like that is also a good like starting place if you're like curious about what your level of tolerance will be and like if that plot sounds at all interesting to you like I think you'll really dig it um, so yes that's Hexed Volume 1 by Michael Allen Nelson and Dan Mora all right question number two this is from Shannon she says, I'm a children's minister who loves books, and as such, I have parents asking me for recommendations for their kids' elementary and middle grade ages. One type of book I've struggled finding is books with multiracial families, especially that have foster or adopted children. These don't need to be specifically religious, just showing diverse families uh, to show more modern day families with fun and positive stories. So that is from Shannon. And Jen, this is all you. This is all you. <laughs> I got a little carried away. You did, um... which is great because then I didn't have to think. So go ahead. <laughs> 
Well, and I didn't do great on the foster adopted children because in my experience, um, they're most of the books that are about adopted kids are like specifically about the adoption process and Mm -hmm. like it's it can get a little old um some of these are more serious than others and I also went outside the grade range because I felt I feel like this is really important we don't talk about it a lot so okay I'm just gonna start naming things (laughs) so my first pick is actually for small small children like pre-elementary and it's called Everywhere Babies by Susan Myers and Marla Frazee this is like my favorite shower gift to give um and it's a really sweet little rhyming board book um, that talks about like all of the things that babies do but the illustrations are so great there's all different kinds of babies shapes of babies ethnicities of babies and also all different kinds of parents Um, so there's like same-sex marriages and you know different like just a dad or just a mom and and it's never made explicit like that's not what the book's about but it's just like a visible reality for the babies in the in the board book so Everywhere Babies by Susan Myers and Marla Frazee is amazing. Um, as far as picture books go, I highly recommend Marisol McDonald Doesn't Match um, by Monica Brown and Sarah Palacios. Um, she has red hair and brown skin, and she likes polka dots and stripes, and she likes peanut butter and jelly burritos. And she just is a girl who has a lot of different kinds of things going on, and she's okay with those things. But sometimes other people don't understand why she can't just be one thing or the other um and so it's a really great picture book about like kind of being who you are no matter what that looks like no matter how many different things that is um and it's really lovely and the art is just gorgeous it's really really nice um so that's marisol mcdonald doesn't match by monica brown and sarah palacios and that is a picture book um so good for elementary school kids and then in middle grade um i want to recommend to you monsoon summer by mithali perkins um she uh uh, writes about a young girl named Jasmine Gardner who um, her, let's see, she's she's half Indian, half white. Um, and they go on a family trip to India um, during the monsoon season. And, and she just doesn't want to go. She really doesn't want to be there. Um, she's leaving behind her friends. She's leaving behind the guy she likes. Um, but then, you know, she gets there and obviously... She starts to learn more about her own family, about the people around her, um, and about who she is back home even. Um, and so it's a really beautiful book. Um, and that is appropriate. That's middle grade. Um, so, you know, like 10 to 14 age range or 8 to 12. I, I can never remember which one it is. but um, So that's Monsoon Summer by Mithali Perkins. And then, oh, this book is one of my favorites. I'm just like, I can't stop myself. The True Meaning of Smek Day by Adam Rex, which actually was made into the movie Home, if you saw that, which was really, really sweet and lovely. And everybody should watch it because it's amazing. <laughs> um, it's about a girl named Tip. Gratuity Tucci is her full name. Um, and she is supposed to be writing a school essay about the true meaning of this national holiday called Smek Day. Um, and what she ends up doing is telling the story of how that one time that she saved the planet from aliens um (laughs) and tip is biracial and that is not the point of the book like if you're looking for a fun adventure book that also just takes it for granted that you might have a mixed family this is that book it's hilarious there's great art um and it's just super fun um the alien in the story takes the name 
J-Lo <laughs> as, as, as its earth name. And the boove are hilarious. I love the boove. Um, okay, so that is The True Meaning of Smack Day by Adam Rex. Also good for middle grader teenagers. Um, and then I don't feel like I can talk about, you know, multiracial fiction without talking about Matt De La Pena. Um, his book, Mexican White Boy, is really important for... Uh, Teenagers. So um, Danny is half Mexican and he grows up, he's growing up in San Diego, which is, you know, close to the border. So everybody assumes certain things about him, which may or may not be true. Like he can't speak Spanish, but people think that he should be able to. And, you know, his mom has blonde hair and blue eyes and people don't understand. Um, and it works the other way, too. He's, you know, having trouble connecting with his dad's family. Um, so he then goes to spend the summer in Mexico with his father's family um, and is, you know, becomes faced with the things that he doesn't want to face. Um, it's not like a fun light book, but it's a really important one. And so that is Mexican White Boy by Matt De La Pena. Okay, nice. I did it. I talked nice. about all of them. Um, before we go on to, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, but before you do that, I want to shout out um, Candlewick, which is a publisher. Uh, it's an entire publisher, and everything that they do, Candlewick Press, they are so great at diverse kids' books. When they send me packages um, for work, they're always like diverse authors, diverse families, diverse um, kids, and they, they do really, really great picture books. So if you're looking for, especially for younger kids, um, you can just go to the Candlewick Press website. It's like literally just candlewick.com and pretty much anything on there will be appropriate for your question. I especially like Happy in Our Skin, which is by Fran Manushkin, and this is the book that I've been giving um, in baby showers also. And it's just like, a, it's a big picture book. It's big, just a celebration of babies and how cute they are and how they come in all different kinds of skin tones and have all different kinds of mommies and daddies and combinations they're in and it's just really lovely and sweet um anyway so yeah i wanted to mention that go check out candlewick for all of your diverse children's books okay first sponsor Oh, yes. First sponsor. It's me. It you. It's not me. It's not actually me. It's Jen is our sponsor. But I'm going to talk to you about our first sponsor. (laughs) So our first sponsor is Burning Glass by Catherine Purdy. Um, And it is a YA novel. So YA fans, you know, get ready. Um, About a woman or excuse me. She, well, she's 17. That's like a woman. Um, a teenager. But yeah, right? Like, anyway, teenager who is born with the gift to feel what those around her are feeling, both physically and emotionally, which is like when you talk about what superpower you want to have, this is the superpower I never want to have. Oh, thank you. Like, can you imagine being able to feel everybody's like colds and like, I don't know, headaches and then like the worst things and then on top of it, what they're feeling emotionally. Oh, terrible. So anyway, um, a tragic accident reveals Sonia's secret and she is taken um, to the palace to serve the emperor as his orisir, which means that she is supposed to be able to tell who has ill intentions toward him, help weed out assassins and threats against the emperor. But she's been suppressing this ability for basically her whole life. So now suddenly she has to use it all the time. Um, Not going to be easy. And um, as she's struggling with her abilities, she is also trying to figure out her relationship to both the emperor and his very idealistic brother, Anton. And then, of course, there's a revolution (laughs) and she has to figure out which side to be on, who to trust, who to betray. So high stakes, you could say. (laughs) 
Indeed. Um, they're pitching it as Red Queen meets Shadow and Bone, which is a really interesting combination. Um, and I was saying before... Uh, uh, I really love the cover for this book. Um, it's got that great, like, iconic image in the middle and then, like, a really dark background. And that's one of my favorite things that I've seen lately in YA covers. So um, you can find out more um, by looking, clicking on the link in the show notes that will drop. Um, you can read some chapters of Burning Glass, get a taste for it, learn more about the author, learn more about the plot of the book. Um, and uh, thank you so much to Catherine Purdy and Burning Glass for being one of our sponsors. All right. Question three. Question three. Oh, it's your turn. Again. You again. (laughs) This is the Jen show. It's the Jen show. So Lindsay says, I'm looking for some fantasy recommendations that don't include the most special person ever who has no idea they actually had the power inside them all along trope. (laughs) So good. Oh, so she says, that's getting boring. I think I might like a hero who has to work hard to learn whatever skills they need or for whom their gifts are hard won and it isn't quite, they aren't quite so naive. Basically something a little grittier, but I have nowhere to, I have no idea where to start. Help, please. Um, yes. I love can. <laughs> The most special person ever who has no idea they actually had the power inside them all along. And when she wrote this question to us, she capitalized every word yes. in that sentence. Uh, because so- amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my first pick, I've talked about it on the show before, but it's my favorite YA series of all time, and it's uh, Sabriel by Garth Nix. It's the first book in the Abhorsen series, and Sabriel is a teenager whose father is the, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Oh my gosh. He's the Abhorsen. Thank you, goodness great. I was going to say Necromancer, but those are the bad guys. <laughs> Her father's the Abhorsen, which in this old kingdom, uh, this old medieval-ish, you know, fantasy world, uh, it's his job to keep the dead down. So when the dead die... Uh, They can come back and be used by evil baddies to do their bidding, or if they're particularly powerful spiritual entities, they can just escape from death and come wreak havoc on the world of the living. And so the Abhorsen is a very powerful kind of sorcerer type figure in the whose job it is uh, to keep the dead from coming back to life. And so Sabriel has been sent across the wall out of the old kingdom into a country where like electricity exists to go to school. And then while she's at school in her final semester, she finds out that her father has gone missing and she has to go home to find him. And he's missing for long enough that she has to kind of take over being the abhorsen. And she has no idea what she's doing because she's been at school since she was a young child. And so she has to learn how to do the job. And she is, she's like a powerful, she's got some genetic whatever. She's powerful um, of her, in her own right, but she has no idea how to handle it. The, the abhorsen has specific tools that they use to keep the dead from coming back and, you know, killing everyone and eating your faces off. She doesn't know what she's doing. So she's got to both find her father, figure out, you know, he goes missing because there's some great big plot to take over this fantasy world. So she's got to save the day all the while kind of, you know, doing the School of Hard Knocks thing, like learning as she goes. Um, and then the, the series continues. I think there are four four books and a prequel. Um, she's not in all of them, but the ones that she is in, you can watch her getting better and better and better at her job until, you know, the big climactic scenes when she figures out exactly how to do the thing that she's learning how to do. Um, so she does know that she has the power inside her all along kind of a thing because she knows who her father is, but she doesn't know how to use it and you have to watch her win it like win her ability to actually like carry that mantle the world is really richly imagined the writing is beautiful um there's no love triangle that bothers me i don't like those at all so if that bothers you there you go and it's just it's just amazing and it is gritty like it's it's ya but um you know bad stuff happens because you know the dead are coming to each face off so (laughs) bad stuff happens um so yeah so that's sabriel by garth nix nice Mm -hmm. i just want to insert 
that I am Team Mugget in here. Yes, Mugget is so good. <laughs> oh, the little cat troll yes. guy. Oh, he's Mugget. amazing. Mugget is like a free spirit, uh, a free magic spirit. And in this world, free magic, they're, they're not good or bad. They're kind of like amoral. Um, and chaotic neutral. They are chaotic neutral, but he's been like enslaved by her family. So he has to do whatever she tells him to do. And he takes the form of a cat and he's just very grumpy. And like he does everything really begrudgingly. And it's he's hilarious. He's so good. Anyway. Team Mugget. Right. Team Mugget. <laughs> Show title. Um, so I am going to recommend a book that Amanda talked about last week, I think. Um, it's Graceling by Kristen Kishore. Um, I love this book. And when you, when I first read this question, this was the first thing I thought of. Um, because Katza, who's the hero of Graceling, heroine, uh, whatever, um, has was born with her grace, but she doesn't really understand it, and she doesn't want it. Yeah. Um, and not just in the, like, oh, I don't want Pell or no, okay, wait, maybe I do, kind of way that mm-hmm. you sometimes see um, in these stories of the most special person ever. Like, she really doesn't want it. Um, she hates using it. She's been twisted into sort of, like, a thug and enforcer by her, nef- her uncle, who is the king, Um and, like, she's not treated well, and her grace has brought her nothing but bad things. Um, and watching her try to figure out how to not only be comfortable with herself, but use her powers in a way that makes sense to her is just amazing. Um, it's so, so good. She, like, she's such an interesting character to follow um in that she knows who she is but she's she's just doing nothing but fighting it um and watching her like go through that is is just a really amazing story arc um and also i love the world of of the graceling books like it's just so rich and interesting um and it is pretty gritty there's not a lot of like you know there's no like unicorns and rainbows and fairy yeah. dust. Like it's it's a pretty rough world to be in. Um, so yes, that's Graceling by Kristen Kishore. Okay, my second pick for you is The Queen of the Tearling by Erica Johansson. And this is a future past weird situation. Okay, so um, it takes place several hundred years in the future, but society has decayed into a medieval kind of past. So it's very Lord of the Ringsy fantasy kind of agrarian society, feudal lords, that kind of thing, but it's it takes place in the future. Okay, so that's it. In this future, the main character Kelsey has gone into hiding. She's raised in hiding after her mother the queen um dies. And so or she's raised in hiding after the death of her mother, who is the queen. So Kelsey is a princess. She's raised by these intellectuals who she loves, like her own parents, because they basically are. And then when she comes of age, she has to go back into, you know, the whatever capital of the kingdom and take her place on the throne. And there's there's a supernatural element with the, you know, she has the power inside her all along sort of thing. But what's more interesting about this is that she has to take over ruling this kingdom, but no one has told her about the problems within the kingdom. No one's told her about, you know, the poverty and the human trafficking and um, all the crime and all of this stuff. So she has to take the throne, which she has been raised to do, but then solve all of these problems. And the people around her want her to just continue letting things happen the way they are because her kingdom is, uh, shares a border with another kingdom that's like big and evil. And in order to keep the big and evil people from invading, they send, they have a lottery system where they draw random people and send the people off um, to the big, 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 bad, evil kingdom into slavery. And that's how they keep peace. And the first thing that Kelsey does when she takes the throne is destroy that system. So then war is coming, which is to figure out what to do. So it's, um, 
her skills that she's like hard winning in this book are skills of leading and like political ingenuity and like political machinations and stuff like that. It's so she's not naive. She's not stupid, but she is kind of ignorant. She doesn't know what she doesn't know about her job. And you have to watch her in this world, do the right thing and then deal with the consequences as they come uh, in creative and interesting ways. There is a little bit of a supernatural, well, not a little bit. There's a supernatural uh, bent in the book and Kelsey does have a bit of, um, supernatural ability that she's surprised by and doesn't know how to yield at first, but she eventually figures it out as the series continues. Um, but it's really more, I think, the more interesting thing in this book is watching her like fight for feminism in this weird uh, future medieval society and fight against human trafficking and slavery and all of this stuff. So um, yeah, and it's super gritty. I mean, it's a book about human trafficking, so, you know, gritty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it's The Queen of the Tearling by Erica Johansson. And it's the first book in the series. The second one came out last year, and I think the third is coming out later in the summer. Uh, so you want to And there's a movie one? with Emma Watson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, my next pick is very gritty. Um, it's Midnight Rubber by Nayla Hopkinson, and it comes with trigger warnings for sexual assault and child abuse. Um, it is, that being said, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. Um it's kind of what I would call speculative fiction rather than straight fantasy or science fiction. Um, there's some sciencey elements, but also some sort of fantasy elements. Um, it takes place on a planet that has been colonized by um, people from the Caribbean. Um, and it's like carnival and there's all kinds of great music and dance. And, you know, there's pretend robbers who waylay people with, you know, stories and demand, you know, repayment for the stories. And, um, this young girl, Tantan, um, she just like thinks it's all great. Um, and then her father who is in a position of power commits an unforgivable crime and they are sent to a sort of penal world um, called New Halfway Tree um, and there are monsters and the other people there are outcasts and um, her life is very very different um, and she has to find it's not like a magical power it's like literally the power of survival, um, how to become a good person, how to become a person at all, how to grow up in these really intense circumstances. Um, and it's the way that Hopkinson sort of weaves folklore into all of it. And the way the book is told partially in like sort of straightforward accounts and then partially in these little fably interludes is really amazing. Um, this book just kind of tore my heart out and like stamped all over it. And then I kept reading <laughs> it anyway. Um, and so, I highly recommend it. So, yeah, it's um, it's a rough book, but a good one. Uh, Midnight Robber by Nayla Hopkinson. All right, question four. This is from Jessica. She says, my best friend recently came to me looking for a good recommendation. She is in her, she's in her mid-20s and coming back to reading fiction after almost a decade of only reading nonfiction or school-assigned reading. Her favorite books growing up were Nancy Drew books. Uh, she loved the exploration piece of Nancy's adventures and the classy, curious nature of Nancy and her friends. Do you have any recommendations for adult mysteries that would scratch this itch? One caveat, she works with a lot of special circumstance children, so mysteries that are excessively sexually graphic or violent are hard for her after a long day of dealing with this uh, in real life. So that's from Jessica. <clears throat> okay. 
So my first pick for this is the Flavia de Luz series by Adam, uh, Adam, Alan uh, Bradley. And this is kind of if, if Agatha Christie wrote mysteries with an 11 year old. So the main character is 11, but they're they're adult books. Um, and I think they would be a good comp for Nancy Drew. So they take place in the 50s in this, uh, you know, country, English country village. Um, and the main character, Flavia, lives in a dilapidated old English manor with her father, who is a World War II vet who's suffering with some PTSD. So he's not really there for her and her sisters, so who hate her. So Flavia is essentially on her own. And the thing about her is that she's obsessed with chemistry. She's a genius scientist. She has her own chemistry lab up off in like a deserted wing of this house where she lives. And in every book, there's a murder that she solves with science. And it's amazing. Um, she's really precocious, but not in that annoying precocious child narrator way, which drives me crazy. But um, she is actually really interesting. But they never, Alan Bradley really nails this. Like, she's smart, but she's 11, you know. Um, so the adults talk about things that she doesn't always understand. But you'll understand it, of course, because you're a grown up. Um, so you'll get all those, like, jokes. Um, the first book is called The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. And, you know, there are murders, but since the protagonist is 11, they're not, you know, excessive. They're certainly not sexually violent um, and they're not excessively graphic or anything like that. In the same way that Agatha Christie's like someone's dead, but it's a very behind the curtain sort of death. Um, and then all these very nice people make jokes and go solve it. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love Agatha Christie and I love this series. Flavia is an amazing character. Um, so, yeah, Flavia, De, the Flavia de Luce series is, is the name of the series. The first book is called The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. So my first pick is The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Lisa Lutz, which is the first in the Mary Russell and Sherlock Holmes series by Laurie R. King. Um, we read these, the first one recently with my mystery book group, and it, we had a really great discussion. We really enjoyed it. Um, so the premise of this book is that Sherlock Holmes has retired to Sussex, wherever the heck that is. And um, <laughs> he's like, you know, studying bees and like theoretically just living a quiet, retired life. Um, and one day he comes across a teenage girl who's like tromping around and doesn't even notice because she's reading as she walks and she basically steps on him. Um, and it turns out that she is basically like a young female version of him. Like she's very smart. Um, she's having a very troubled home life and, uh, he takes her under his wing and starts training her in the arts of detection. Um, and the book is narrated by Mary Russell, who is, you know, the teenage girl. Um, and so it's a little bit one of those, like, you can tell she's an adult looking back on this, um, but it's still got sort of that teenage voice, um, at least in the early books they go on for quite some time and obviously she gets older as they go along um but yeah so it's a really interesting um look at Holmes there's a lot of like Holmes rewrites and I really enjoyed this one he's not quite as like sociopathic as some of the modern incarnations but he's definitely like still a little bit of a jerk um, <laughs> and watching him interact with a headstrong very intelligent um female character is really fun um uh I, we did have some objections to the way Watson was portrayed but it's fine I will not get into this because I'm now getting derailed by my own memories. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, the murders, like there, there are crimes and murders and things, but again, it's very behind the curtain. There's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of on-screen violence. Um, and uh, they're really entertaining mysteries and they've got that like old timey feel to them. So that's The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Laurie R. King. 
Okay, my second pick for you is uh, Ozma Zehanat Khan's mystery series. And the series is, a, it, it's the Rachel Getty and Essa Katak series, which is kind of a clumsy name, I think. But the first book is called The Unquiet Dead. Um, there are only two. The second one just came out last month, and it's called The Language of Secrets. Ozma Zehanat Khan is such a fascinating writer. She's an international human rights lawyer, and she did her dissertation on the Sabrina massacre of the Bosnian War. Um, and I think she lives in Canada now. She's a professor of like American and Canadian studies. Anyway, she's super, super smart. And her first book, The Unquiet Dead, is a murder mystery that ta- that is uh, like centers on the Srebrenica massacre, which she wrote her PhD dissertation on. Um, so the two detectives in these books are Rachel Getty and Essa Katak, but they are um, not just normal cops in Canada. They are, uh, they handle minority sensitive cases. I'm like making scare quotes with my fingers now. They handle minority sensitive cases. So whenever like a politically charged or um, like racially sensitive murder comes up in this area of Canada where the books take place, these two go in to handle it. And so in the first one, uh, a wealthy man has seemingly had an accident and fallen off a cliff while on a walk um, in like the back of his house. But then come, they come to find out that he could be like a war criminal from the Bosnian War. And so these two detectives have to figure out if he actually is. And if he is, was he murdered? Um, there are flashbacks to the Srebrenica massacre. Um, and in the end, the whodunit is such a big, I didn't get it at all. I'm usually like, I can usually get it, not immediately, but you know, like, I'm good at guessing who done it. I had no idea, no idea. So she's really good at that. The second book in her series I haven't read, but I've heard excellent things about um, the language of secrets. And that one centers around a terrorist cell in a um, in a mosque. And so Rachel, the detective, the female detective who is not Muslim, has to go undercover in this mosque to kind of find out, you know, what's going on and what the cell's next move is and all that. Um, so as you can tell. Um, Ozma Zehanat Khan writes about really sensitive and timely topics and she does so in such like this compassionate and humanizing way and I just really love her writing um, and yeah the mysteries are great and hard to figure out so the mystery series the first I'll just tell you the first book the first book is called The Unquiet Dead by Ozma Zehanat Khan so go read it okay no it's your turn you have one more I got one more okay. um, <clears throat> uh, The Spellmans by Lisa Lutz this whole series is like one of those fun rompy like wacky mystery series um and the first one the spellman files is great um it so it's about isabel who short goes by izzy for short um spellman who is born into a family of private investigators they have a firm this is what they do for a living so she's kind of like there was no way she was ever not going to be part of investigation however much she would care not to so she's 28 and she's like kind of made a hash of her life (laughs) um creative vandalism is one of the terms that gets thrown around um and she's like addicted to get smart reruns and she probably is more likely to enter your house through the window than a door um but she's actually very good at her job um so she is a unorthodox private investigator um and just like cannot like even in her like casual relationships cannot forbear to like investigate the people around her um and so she then of course you know a mystery happens that kind of involves her family in an interesting way um, and also is completely separate. Um, And she gets hired to um, follow, well, they hire her little sister to follow Izzy. Um, And you can see it's very complicated family (laughs) stuff. 
like we like we were like should we draw a chart um during the book group discussion for this but the upshot is it's really fun it's sort of like a snarkier nancy drew situation um and there's not a lot of graphic violence um but it's also very smart and entertaining it feels very modern and like very grown up so yes very good um highly recommended the spellman files by lisa lutz snarkier nancy drew situation is definitely the show title there we go (laughs) (laughs) all right uh sponsor number two is actually fitting based on what we were just talking about it's a study in charlotte by Brittany caballero which is an updated sherlock holmes watson novel YA novel except not at all so the main character in this book is jamie watson who is the great 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 grandson of john watson he's just won a rugby scholarship to a connecticut prep school he doesn't really want to go because it's close to his estranged father the other complication is that charlotte holmes goes to that school charlotte holmes is the great 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 granddaughter of Sherlock Holmes and John uh, Jamie Watson is not keen on going to the same school as Charlotte Holmes. So, but he does because he's got a scholarship. He goes and then a student dies and the student's death um, as they're trying to solve what happened or figure out what happened, the clues suspiciously echo some details of the original Sherlock Holmes mystery. So of course, Jamie and Charlotte become the prime suspects, obviously, and they have to kind of put aside their differences, come together and conduct their own investigation to clear both of their names. So this is the book. It's YA. It's an, like an opportunity to explore new characters. What what a Sherlock Holmes figure and a John Watson figure would look like now. Um, of course, both characters are super smart. The dialogue is very witty. The relationship between the two of them is very complicated. But Charlotte is a lot like Sherlock, like as he's written, especially as he's written in the BBC thing happening now. She's she's brilliant, but she's also really unlikable and prickly, which is not a thing that female characters are ever really allowed to be in YA or ever in anything, (laughs) Um, you know, see all of the Western canon for proof of that. So this is a great thing to read while you're waiting for the next season of Sherlock, you know, to come back. Um, And it's the first in the trilogy. So the characters will come back with more, you know, snark and death, snark and death, cake or death. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so that's a study in Charlotte by Brittany Caballero. And thank you very much for sponsoring the show. All right. I love Sherlock stories. I just, Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay. All right. Question five. That's all you, girl. Question five. Okay. So this is from Jackie. I'm participating in the 2016 Read Harder Challenge and thought of books for most categories, but I'm struggling with the category of a book by an author from Southeast Asia. I usually read fantasy slash science fiction or YA novels and was wondering if you knew of any books in these categories by an author from Southeast Asia. Thanks for the help. Okay, so first I wanted to mention that we have done a video about this on our YouTube channel, um, which is YouTube slash BookRite Video. And every other Friday, so every second Friday, we do a video about one of the tasks for the Read Harder Challenge um, for 2016. So we did one for this one in January, and um, Sharifa, one of our contributing editors, recommended three books. I'll leave a link in the show notes to that video. Of course, she talks about Sorcerer to the Crown, which is really this show should just be called Get Sorcerer to the Crown instead of Get Books, because we won't <laughs> stop talking about it. Um, and <laughs> Zen Cho is an author from Malaysia. Um, she names a couple of other books, one of which comes out in July. So if you don't get around to this task until the summer, there's a new release coming out in July for you called Sarong Party Girls. Anyway, you can read that. Um, so my first pick that's an actual book and not a video for you is called Inside Out and Back Again. It's by Danha Lai. Um, and this is a YA, kind of middle grady YA, whatever, one of those books that like, you know, crosses the boundary. 
uh, novel in verse. It's semi-autobiographical, and it's about a girl named Ha who grows up in Saigon. Um, and then the Viet, she's 10 years old, but then the Vietnam war, uh, war breaks out, and sh- her and her family are forced to flee, and they get on a boat and come to Alabama. Um, and this is based on the author's life of fleeing the Vietnam War after the fall of Sa- Saigon and going to Alabama and growing up in Alabama as a Vietnamese girl, you know, in the middle of the war um, and what that was like. Um, and so, of course, the book talks about the racism that she faces, how despite, you know, the rumors of Southern hospitality, her family is not welcomed by the people in Alabama. Um, there's a parts in there about how weird she finds the food, uh, how her family comes together to kind of protect each other from the difficulties that they're facing. And it's about, and it's one year, like her first year uh, living in Alabama after coming over from Vietnam. So yeah, you said you'd like YA. I think this is a good pick. That's Inside Out and Back Again by Tan Ha Lai. My first pick is a collection, actually, um, that I'm really enjoying. It's called The Sea is Ours, Tales from Steampunk Southeast Asia. Um, the editors are Jamie Goh and Joyce Chung, and um, it's great. Um, like most story collections, it's like a little uneven, like some are awesome and some are like, oh, that was pretty good. Um, but on the whole, I'm really loving it. Um, and there's it's steampunk, which is really interesting because steampunk has sort of a history of very, being very like colonialist like it's all about you know English people with ray guns Um, English people with clockwork hearts right yeah and it like doesn't often take into account the oppression that happened during the era of you know the steam industrial revolution so this uh, collection is going a long way to address that Um, and the stories are great there's um, kids with like fighting spiders inside of like sort of almost like robot armor and um, there's like these flying whales in one story and there's um, a really creepy one about sort of uh, like uh, like a folk tale come to life um, and they're just awesome um, I don't read a ton of steampunk but it doesn't matter I think you there's a lot to love in this for anyone um, so yeah that is The Sea is Ours Tales from Steampunk Southeast Asia um, and I highly recommend it Okay, so my second pick for you is a book that I'm actually in the middle of. It's called Beauty is a Wound by Eka Kurniawan. Um, asterisk for punctuation, uh, I mean, for pronunciation. Um, and it's translated by Annie Tucker. And this is an amazingly translated book, and it's a really hard read. It's, like ma- it's magical realism. You said fantasy, but I feel like magical realism is like a sub-genre of fantasy. And it's about a, a prostitute named Dewey Ayu, who she lives in Indonesia, um, and her four daughters. And it's just, it's a like super scathing indictment of colonialism in Indonesia's history for like 500 pages. It's a really hard read. There's a lot of war, um, murder, lots of rape. So major, major trigger warning. But the writing is really amazing. And this is, I'm picking this one because it's a, it's a country that isn't represented in fiction very much Indonesia, um, certainly not by Indonesian authors. I mean, the thing about Southeast Asian fiction and, you know, fiction of any area that was colonized is most of the canonized literature about those areas are written by white people um, who, which in and of itself is like a, is an act of colonialism, in my opinion. Anyway, that was a rant I just went down. Beauty is a Wound is by an Indonesian author. Um, The main character is a woman and it's a difficult, it's, 
it's hard to explain because it, it covers so much of Indonesian history and it's so long and epic and it follows so many generations of people. It's very Gabriel Garcia Marquez-ish in that way that you're starting off with um, one family and their difficulties and their weird magical realist stuff. Like in the first page, the main character comes back from the dead where she's been dead for like 20 years, but she comes back because she's bored sort of a thing. Very Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, and then you follow that family through generations and generations and years and years and years. And the the novel is really a vehicle for explaining the difficulties that this country has had. Um, despotic rule, genocide, mass murders, all of this stuff. Um, so the writing is beautiful. It's it's a hard book to read, really, but I just kind of love it. I don't know. Like, normally when I read a book with this much rape in it, and there's so much rape in it, um, I stop because I can't, I can't deal with it. Um, but I don't know. For, for some reason, it felt appropriate and um, the writing made it worth it. Is that weird? That's so weird. Like, I've, I've never, I've never I, verbalized that before. It's funny because I started this book a little, what, like, last month. Mm-hmm. And I chatted a friend of mine who I know had already finished it. And I was like, I need you to tell me right now, like, does this, does this sexual assault continue throughout the yes. whole book? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. He's like, but it's kind of worth it. And I was like, okay. Like, it's not, I think I can, like, I think the difference in beauty is a wound is that like there's it's it's as in as much as in it's an indictment of colonialism I think it's also an a really intense exploration of the of women's suffering mm-hmm. like of the burdens that women in colonial in colonized countries bear um and in that sense like it's you know these are things that happen and not talking about them is perhaps erasure, but that doesn't make it any easier to read. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. I was like, I was struggling so hard yeah. to figure out why. It's like, tough. It's tough. Like, I'm so much rape, it, but read it anyway. Had, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. But I had, I have, I had to take a break. But I'm going to pick it back up because you're right. The writing is incredible. Yeah, and the translate that says a lot about the translator Annie Tucker. It's really great. Anyway, that's my second pick. I'm going to stop talking about rape <laughs> now. Beauty is a wound by Eka Kurniawan. Um, my second pick is one I've talked about on the show before and I will never stop talking about. It's called On a Red Station Drifting by Elliot DeBottard, who is French-Vietnamese herself. Um, and this uh, story takes place in a future sort of Vietnamese space situation. Um, situations are my bag today, apparently. <laughs> um, so there's a space station called Prosper Station and the sort of AI that controls it um, has like, you know, been running it forever and things are going really well for the most part. And then there's, of course, war. Um, and the sort of brightest minds, the most powerful people of the station have been called away to fight in the war. And now there's refugees incoming and the station's resources are strained and there's it's kind of starting to unravel a little bit um and the station mistress uh i don't know if it's chuyen or kuyen so apologies um is like really struggling to keep everything together she doesn't feel like she's qualified but she's trying to like fake it till she makes it and then there's this new refugee who arrives and just kind of changes everything um i really loved this novel um it's an amazing story. I guess it's technically a novella. It's about 100 pages long. Um, and I just, like, want more. I want to be in this universe for as long as I possibly can. Um, and I love that it's sort of set in this very, you know, future sort of reimagining of what Vietnamese culture might look like um, in space. So that's On a Red Station Drifting by Elliot DeBottard. 
You have a link there. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, and you know? also, I was I was like spelunking the internet, right, for <laughs> titles to recommend to make sure I didn't miss anything I really wanted to talk about. And the Diversity in YA Tumblr has a post that's specifically YA books about Southeast Asian Americans. Um, so I will put a link in the show notes, which I already did and then forgot. Um, so thank you, Amanda. <laughs> um, but it's a bunch of really great books um, that are all either about or by Southeast Asian Americans. Americans that are recommended by diversity and YA. So yes, that is another good resource for you. All right. Last question. This one is from Christine. I am in a YA book club for adults. I loved many of the first in a series books we've read, but the number of sequels on our TBR list keep adding up as we move on to other selections. Can you recommend some standalone YA for the group? We've already read Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, Coldest Girl in Cold Town, Darkest Part of the Forest, Ready Player One, We Were Liars, and a few more. Bonus points for male character, for male main character POV. And that is from Christine. I'll go for it. I've got more than one, so I'll go. I mean, I've got more than you. Okay. So my first pick is Complicit by Stephanie Kuhn. This is uh, told from the point of view of of a 16-year-old boy named Jamie, um, who two years ago, his sister was put into juvenile detention for burning, for starting a fire, burning down somebody's barn. Um, So everybody thinks that his sister is crazy, including him. He doesn't like her. She was kind of a rebel. Um, They are in foster care. And so she's got, you know, issues of her own. She was acting out. And so he's, you know, not exactly sad that she's gone, but she's just got out. And now she's coming back to find Jamie. Um, And Kate is looking for him because she wants to tell him the truth about their past, a truth that she hasn't told anyone, hasn't told him, hasn't told, you know, the judge that put her away, all of the people in the town who hate her, um, etc. So you're seeing the story from the point of view of Jamie, who is terrified that his sister is going to come back and ruin his life. You know, he's got a tenuous relationship with his foster parents. He's trying to do well in school. He's just trying to live his life and get past this thing that his sister did and his association with her. And so he spends a lot of the book, like trying to avoid her because she's coming back and he's terrified. And then she finally gets a hold of him and then they have to deal with like reckoning with the truth of, their past together. So it is a bit of a mystery. You got to find out uh, what that truth is, how it's going to affect Jamie, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's got a bit of a thriller element because there's some crime stuff happening. Um, and yeah, it's obviously standalone because that's what you asked for and a male POV. And I really loved it and I didn't figure it out. So there you go. Um, so that's Complicit by Stephanie Kuhn. And it came out in 2014. So you should be able to find it in a paperback now, which I know is a thing that matters a lot to book clubs. Matters to my book club. The book has to be in paperback. Um, so yeah, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my pick is one that is near and dear to my heart because I read it when I was a teenager and we'll never stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the perks of being a wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Um, so good. And you know, recently had a like, not, well, not super recently, but it had a movie finally. And like, there was this nice resurgence of popularity for the book, which made me so happy. Um, anyway, it's about Charlie who is a freshman in school. Um, he's shy, he's smart, he's kind of awkward. Um, and he is trying to figure out a lot of things like you do when you're a freshman. So like, like friends and being in a new school, um, like sex and drugs and the Rocky Horror Picture Show mm. and sex and drugs and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> and uh, and and also like what it means to him to like stay kind of in hiding. Um, and then he makes a new friend um, who sort of takes it upon herself to get him to sort of come out of his shell, um, which has both good consequences and not so good consequences. So I think this is. I mean, if you some of you probably have read it already. Um, it was published in 1999. Oh man, is that possible? Um, <laughs> wow. And uh, and it's so good. Um, and I think there is a lot to unpack in this book. Um, and also you could do that thing where you see the movie and then read the book and talk about the differences, which is always fun for book clubs. Um, so yes, The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Okay, my second pick I've talked about on the show before and will continue to talk about until I die because I love it. <laughs> and that's Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin O'Leary Sines. Is I was saying that right? Story of my life. Am I saying that right? Um, Anyway, so this book, oh man, just like right in the feels, you know? So Aristotle and Dante are best friends. Aristotle is a teenager who has some anger problems. He doesn't really fit in. His older brother is in prison. His father is a a soldier, a veteran who's dealing with his own PTSD issues. Um, And his mom is just kind of trying to keep the family together. So he's got a lot of home stuff going on. And he's mostly just that silent, brooding, angry teen guy. He meets Dante at a swimming pool. Uh, Dante is a know-it-all who's really into art and is kind of weird and out there. And Aristotle and Dante become best friends. They start spending time together. They're both kind of outcasts and loners. So they start spending time together and they become really close. And... um, you follow them over. I don't. I don't remember how long the book lies. Is it like it's like a year or more? Um, anyway, it's long enough for it to be coming of agey. Um, and Aristotle starts to kind of pull away from Dante because Dante's got stuff going on in his life, and I don't want to spoil it for you. Anyway, Dante is, comes out to him and um, you know the community. And at one point in the book, he gets beat up for it, and so Aristotle has to come to terms with that. Does he want to be friends with someone? who's got that kind of drama in his life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he realizes some things about himself. Anyway, it's just so heartwarming. Not even heartwarming. I don't know. Just like heart destroying. Like it will break your heart into a thousand pieces and then rebuild it again. Newer, better, and stronger than it was before. Um, and there's so much in this book to talk about with with a book club. Um, and you got two dude POVs here. Um, two male main characters. So twice what you asked for. Look at that. So that's Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, which is amazing. Everyone should read it. It should be required reading for everyone in America by Benjamin O'Leary Signs. Nice. Newer, better, feelier. I yes, like it. newer, better, feelier. <laughs> um, my second pick for you is All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley, which came out last fall. So it might be a minute before it's in um, paperback. But, you know, YA hardcovers are less than $20 usually is not so bad. Um and it's a really intense and really interesting book. So um, it's about a boy named Rashad who who gets beat up by a cop. Um, there's an incident in a convenience store, and um, he wasn't actually doing anything wrong, but it looked like he was. And the cop, uh, as the cop is arresting him, he uh, assaults him. So he ends up in the hospital, um, and... There are witnesses to this. Um, Oh, and Rashad is black, I should have said. Um, So, I mean, kind of obviously, but yes. So, and one of the boys who witnessed it, Quinn, is a white kid. Um, And what he saw was his best friend's older brother 
beating up a classmate. So Quinn is obviously very conflicted about what he saw, what it means, what he should do about this. Um, and the book is told in an alternating POV um, between Rashad and Quinn um, from the like from the event itself and then the fallout afterwards. Um, and so what happens at your school when one of your classmates is in the hospital and what happens to the cop and when he's part of the community um, and what do you do? What is your personal responsibility if you have witnessed an, uh, an act of um, police brutality and racism? And it's a really intense read and a really interesting one. Um, they, I think the authors did a really good job of addressing such a complicated issue while still keeping it about the main character's voices. Um, and obviously there's a lot to unpack here and a really interesting sort of you know, obviously very present day, modern pressing issue. So yes, that is All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley. Jason Reynolds is so good. And Brendan Kiley is also, I mean, these are two really good authors in their own right. They've both written, I mean, talk about books that you should read in your book club. Like both of them have written excellent other books standalone. And so when, you know, you have two writers of that caliber coming together, the results are fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we are pretty much out of time, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I feel weird about recommending books with only male POV, even though that's what you asked for. But I just want to throw one out there about ladies. Uh, it's called The Walls Around Us by Nova Ransuma. It's a YA novel about murdery ballerinas. What more do you want? So, um, yeah, check that out. I'm not going to... I co-signed that wreck. It's <laughs> Nova Ransuma is amazing. Murdery ballerinas. Go to town. Um, so that is our show. <laughs> <laughs> so many potential show titles. Um, uh. So... Um, please go rate us or review uh, the show on iTunes. It makes it easier to find when people are searching for the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you to our sponsors, Burning Glass and A Study in Charlotte for sponsoring. Did I say that right? Yeah, A Study in Charlotte for sponsoring the show. We will talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>